Thank you, Bill. This morning, before we begin our uh, sermon, I want to share with you that next week's service is going to look a little different. We're going to have some visiting missionaries with us. Um, in order for them to give a report, we want to maintain their anonymity, and so I'm not going to mention their names right now. Uh, we also want to give them the opportunity to share with you, and in order for them to do that, we are rearranging our service so that most of what we do during service is going to come at the very beginning. We will conclude our service, and then we will have the mission report at the end of our service time. It'll be about uh, a 35-minute or so uh, time where they will share with us the work that they're doing and things that we can look forward to uh, hearing about in the near-term future. Um, we're also going to shut our live stream off before they start sharing with us, because, again, we want to maintain their anonymity. The, the areas in which they're working would require them not to be public figures. And so uh, we're going to do that. For those of you online, it will affect you most. For those of us in the room, it will be a simple rearrangement of what we normally do on Sunday morning. And so uh, giving you that heads up, be here because the work that we're going to hear about is fantastic. And those of you who were able to meet uh, one of these individuals uh, last year, actually, uh, can testify to the fact that it will be a, an exciting and uh, encouraging presentation to hear. So wanted to let you know about that. Uh, that said, uh, we're going to go ahead and move into our sermon now, uh, and we are talking about Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Sean Jones was kind enough to point out to me, you know, Easter was a few months ago. Uh, it's kind of an inside joke with preachers, you know, we're only supposed to preach about the resurrection once a year, uh, which is very difficult for most of us to do. And so uh, I'm going to buck that trend, and I have a feeling Sean's done that a few times before as well. This morning, as we talk about the resurrection, though, I want to look at Jesus' specific interactions with three groups of people, or three individuals and groups of people. Um, to me, when Jesus appears to the disciples, he gives them something. You know, it's, it's one thing for them to receive the revelation of the risen Savior. I think that's wonderful. That's powerful. I will testify right now that the resurrected Savior is the single greatest truth that we hold on to, that we believe that we serve a Savior who has conquered death. That is the hope that we cling to. That is the truth that defines who we are as Christians. It's not just some moral teaching. It is not just a set of principles and ideas about the way that we live our lives. It is those things in light of a Savior that has overcome death and offered us the opportunity to do so as well. Resurrection is the most essential aspect of who we are. Paul, in fact, says, if the resurrection is not true, we are to be pitied above all people. But Paul firmly believes that the resurrection is true and finds it to be the greatest hope that we have. It is the thing that gives context to everything we do. And in light of that, as we discuss these interactions with the disciples on Resurrection Sunday, what we end up seeing is that it redefines their entire lives. It fills them in ways that they were never filled before. See, the, the whole key here, and yes, it's a play on words, empty tomb filled people, but the truth is, without the empty tomb, there could not be the fulfillment that we are longing for. All of history builds to this moment in the life of Christ. So this morning, I want to look at these three groups. 
There are three sets of appearances in John's gospel. Now, you can go to other gospels, and you can find other encounters that are significant. In this chapter, though, Jesus appears three times to three groups of people. The first one is this, this appearance to Mary Magdalene, which we highlighted on Easter this year. Uh, this, this interaction between Jesus and the one who is looking for him. Uh, she's one of the first to arrive at the tomb. She finds it empty. She is melancholy about this. She shares this with the male disciples who don't quite believe yet what they've said. How could the tomb be empty? They arrive there, and they are amazed to find it empty, and they leave in bewilderment over what has happened, and we're told why that is. Mary lingers in the garden and has an encounter with Jesus, And she takes away from that encounter something significant. And we'll look at that in just a moment. After Mary has reported to the disciples what she's experienced, we have an encounter between Jesus and the disciples, just a broad, undefined body of believers that have followed Jesus through his life and are cloistered together in an upper room behind locked doors out of fear and uncertainty. And Jesus appears to them, and the words which Bill actually began to share with us this morning provide them with peace and comfort and and something else as well, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Then we have the encounter between Jesus and Thomas. Now, the other disciples are present for this, but it is uniquely Thomas's moment. It is a moment in which Jesus gives to Thomas something he needs. And so as we look at these three appearances this morning, I want us to think about the ways in which Jesus speaks to these individuals and what it is that he might be giving them. John chapter 20, verse 17 through 18. This is in the midst of the the, uh, resurrection moment in the garden as Mary and Jesus are interacting with one another. And Mary, who is overwhelmed is excited to see Jesus. She is filled with joy. It's a a wonderful and exciting moment, and I I could preach on just that, as you know. If you want to know what happens here, go back to our Easter service and watch that sermon. I thought it was pretty good. I'm not going to brag on most of my sermons, but I was really pleased with that one. Uh, If you want to know what happens between Jesus and Mary, it's worth reading, and it's worth dwelling on. I think it's a big moment in Scripture, but this is what Jesus says to her at the end. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is a moment in which Mary is given something. There is definitely, and I think in all three of these, a sense in which Jesus gives these people peace. He's literally going to say those words multiple times in this chapter, but he gives them peace. Now that idea of peace, if you go back to the Old Testament roots of of the Hebrew language, is shalom. And we usually translate that as peace. But it, it also means Fullness, completeness, fullness be with you, completeness be with you, wholeness be with you, peace be with you. I think that Jesus provides comfort for Mary here. She feels the sense of peace, and in the presence of Jesus and the commission that he gives to her, she finds peace. But we'll come back just a minute to what it is that Jesus gives her specifically, And I think he also gives to us 
generally. We've got to look at the other instances here as well. John 20, verse 21 through 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, there are two obvious things that Jesus does for this group of people. He gives them the peace, right? And then he gives them the Holy Spirit. Those two things stand out to us. Uh, It's very important for us to recognize Jesus gives his church his spirit. It's actually a big theme in the Gospel of John. If you go back to Jesus' final night before the crucifixion, he spends a lot of time discussing who the Spirit is, what the Spirit will do for them, why it's really a good thing that he should go so that the Spirit might come. And here he gives them the Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If, they, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples, who have just a moment before been afraid of what's outside the door of the room that they're meeting in. What else does Jesus give them here? And then we have Thomas. John 20, verse 26 through 27. Eight days later, Jesus has given Thomas a while to kind of ruminate on what the other disciples have said. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Again, he gives this peace. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So we have these these instances of Jesus appearing to the disciples in this chapter in various ways, and he provides them with specific things. He he gives them what it is they need. Now, if you noticed when John, uh, uh, not John, when Bill read our scripture this morning, one of the things that happens is that Jesus volunteers. He shows them his hand and his side. Uh, it's Thomas who says, unless I see his hand and his side, as though like Jesus would withhold that from him. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thought there. They've had to report to Thomas, this is what Jesus did for us. He showed us his hands. He showed us his side. He is risen. It was really him. This is wonderful, miraculous news. And Thomas is like, unless I see his hands and his side. Jesus, Jesus doesn't end up withholding that from him, right? Jesus invites him to it. But he gives him his peace again. And in each of these accounts, he does, he does provide peace. He does provide comfort. There's definitely other things that are given, but the three things that I think maybe we sometimes gloss over, they're given to specific individuals, but they're given to the church broadly as well. And I want to look first at Mary. Um, Mary is given purpose. As you, as you look at the story that's told between these two individuals, as Jesus interacts with Mary, he provides her with comfort. He provides her with the assurance that he is, in fact, who he says he is, although she knows immediately when, when he says her name, who he is. But he provides her with purpose. Go. Tell the disciples. Go, tell the disciples. There is a commission there, ascending. Mary is filled with purpose. And and notice that he does this after saying, don't cling to me. I've not yet gone to the Father. 
Imagine how easy it would be just to stay right there in the garden with Jesus because you have found the Savior resurrected. What in the world could possibly drive me away from this moment here? I don't know about you, but I feel as though if I were there on that, that Sunday morning on which Jesus was resurrected and I'm standing there face to face with the Son of God who has risen from the dead, there's not a lot that could compel me to leave except the Son of God who has risen from the dead saying, go. And even then, I don't know if I would be quite as faithful as Mary. I might protest a little bit. I might pull a Moses and like, are you sure? Because I'd really like to stay here for a little while. I'm not that great a speaker. I, you know, tongue-tied and stuff. Mary goes because she's filled with purpose. She's reported to the disciples once already that the tomb is empty, but now she gets to go tell them Why? It's empty. That is a remarkable purpose to communicate to Jesus' closest followers, his friends, the ones he calls his brothers, the good news of the resurrection. She's filled with purpose, and that is the only thing that could compel her to go. When Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room, we see him offer them some amount of power or authority. I I was going to try and do like three Ps, and I couldn't find one for the last one. I thought about cheating and throwing peace in as the thing, but there's something else that happens with Thomas. It's not purpose, power, peace, but this power that he gives to them is not their own. In fact, the way that Paul would describe it, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, these, these clay pots to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He breathes into them the Holy Spirit. He fills them with power. Not their own power, but the power of God. And more importantly, notice what he says about their forgiving you forgive, it will be forgiven. If you do not forgive, it will not be forgiven. Those are some pretty powerful words. And of course, if you think about what it is that Jesus has already said to his disciples about forgiveness, the assumption would be, you're going to be very forgiving people. Go and forgive. I'm filling you with the power, the authority that God has to forgive. He leads with that forgive, right? He doesn't say, go and condemn Whatever you forgive will be forgiven. To me, that's a pretty powerful statement about what God has empowered us to do. What the resurrection has filled us with the possibility of participating in. Remember now, for just a second here, if you go back and you read the Old Testament law, over and over again, there are these sacrifices that are offered. The blood of bulls and goats, right? These are, these are the things that uh, the, the Israelite people would offer in the expectation of maintaining their relationship with God. But if you look carefully, those sacrifices were not offered for forgiveness. They were offered so that the people might continue to maintain their purity in front of God. It was, it was an offering, but it was not a propitiation, to use a big $5 word there. The resurrection brings the power of forgiveness 
real, true forgiveness. And God has given that to us. As participants in the resurrection of Christ, we are given the ability to forgive in a way the world doesn't forgive. That's a powerful thing. And then in his encounter with Thomas, we are seeing a man who is given belief. And if you really need it to be three Ps, just cut the little bit off of the B at the bottom, and it can be pelief. I don't know what that means, but you know, at least you get some alliteration. Thomas wants to believe. I don't think when the disciples tell him, we have seen the Lord... He has risen from the dead. We saw the nails in, nail scars in his hands, and, and we saw the spear, uh, the place where the spear had entered to his side. I don't think he says, that's stupid. I don't believe it, and I don't want to believe it. This is a man who has followed Jesus closely for three years of his life. Someone who loved Jesus. If you've ever lost someone you love, you know exactly how badly you would like to see them again, how good the news of their resurrection would be. Thomas wants to believe, but sometimes news feels too good to be true. I'll believe it when I see it. And Jesus doesn't leave Thomas lingering. He doesn't tell Peter, hey, tell him to come to you know, the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll meet him there. And when he gets there, when he puts in the effort, then I'm going to give him the sign that he's asked for. Jesus shows up in the room. And before Thomas can even ask, Jesus knows what he needs to believe. And he shows him his hands. And and. Thomas is convinced immediately. He doesn't even need to see the side. That's the beautiful thing about it. Like he's, He is convinced. He's, he doesn't have to put his hands in the nail scars. He doesn't have to put his hand in the side. He knows immediately that the news is not too good to be true and is filled with belief. I think there are a lot of things that God wants to give us things that he would like for us to have. But the things I think he gives most generously, the things that I don't think we're necessarily entitled to, but God just gives to us, are found right here in the account of the resurrection. God has given us great purpose. He has put us in a world that is desperately in need of good news, and he has said, go and tell them that I have risen from the dead. That's our, that's our mission as Christians, to proclaim the resurrection. There are a lot of other things that we can do once people believe that the resurrection is true, once they've identified who Jesus is, what he came for, and what that means for them. Those are all wonderful things, and that is our primary mission. But after that is when all the other stuff happens. Sometimes we get it out of order, and we want them to all get the the other stuff first so that then they'll believe in Jesus. I think Scripture is telling us, you tell them that Jesus has risen from the dead, You proclaim it. You let them know what that good news means. And when they believe it, then 
things will start falling into place. He gives us power, not our own power, not to wield in ways that diminish other people. Of course, over the course of the Gospel of John, he has very specifically shown what real power in the hands of a godly person looks like. It's the kind of power that washes feet. It's the kind of power that interacts with the wrong sort of people. It's the kind of power that lays down its life for others, and in doing so, reveals the resurrection. And God fills us with that kind of power. He gives us belief. Sometimes we think that that's sort of a strange thing to imagine that God would give to us because belief is based on a set of observations that we've had that lead us to a logical conclusion, right? That's how belief works. Uh, I get in my car every single morning and I turn the key and because it turns on, my current car turns on regularly, my old car not so much, uh, I believe that it will happen again tomorrow, right? Right? Based on evidence, I believe these things. But you know what? Sometimes belief is just a gift. Sometimes we believe without knowing why we believe. We're simply filled with belief. In fact, belief belief is a gift of the Spirit. It is something that some people have in greater magnitudes than others. And some of us have to wrestle There's even a moment where a man comes to Jesus asking for a miraculous healing and he says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Because Jesus is the one who can give us belief. I don't think anyone in that upper room, especially Thomas, believed that resurrection could happen until they'd encountered Jesus. Because a lot of them, their their understanding of what was going to happen when the Messiah came was very worldly, earthly. It was was very kings and crowns and thrones based. It was not eternal life based. That doesn't mean all of them struggled with the idea of resurrection. It was a great hope for many people. Sometimes even our hopes feel a little false. And Jesus fills these individuals with a belief in the resurrection and in him. So this morning, I want to ask you, what has Jesus given you through the resurrection? We believe, absolutely, that he has given us access to eternal life through participation in his death, burial, and resurrection. We believe that. We also believe, absolutely, compelled in our belief about this, that we have an eternal relationship with the Father through the resurrection of Christ. That apart from him, we we had very little hope. But what, what does the resurrection of Jesus give to you specifically? Are you Mary? Are you a person who is looking for purpose? Someone who maybe didn't know what you were for before meeting Jesus? Are you like the broader body of the disciples and you you felt helpless 
as though you had no way to impact the world around you. Because the truth is, when Jesus gives those disciples his spirit and then gives them authority, he is empowering them to go do the great works that we see in the, the, the book of Acts. The New Testament is dependent on not just their belief that they have this power, but the actuality of the power that God has filled his disciples with. Are you a person who's felt helpless? And you've just needed God to step into your life and fill you with power. Or maybe you're someone who struggles. Struggles in comprehending, struggles in in accepting that the good news could be for you. Because I don't think that anyone in this room doubts that Jesus is good news for people. But I think there are a lot of Christians that sit in doubt that Jesus is good news for them. Because they know the laundry list of sins that persist in their life. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if the rest of the people in their lives knew who they really were, they would be abandoned. And the resurrection is not good news for them. It might be good news for everybody else, but I just don't see how this could possibly be good news for me. I am too broken. I am too too messed up for this to be my good news. Jesus can't appear to me and make it all better. I don't believe it. But isn't the point of our Savior conquering death to show that there is nothing too broken, nothing too bent, nothing that can be lost that can't be fixed again. I have no doubt in my mind that for Thomas, the good news of a resurrected Savior was his good news. That it was something that he could hold in his own hands and share with others. So maybe this morning you are doubting that the gospel is good news for you, even as you believe it's good news for everybody else. And I want to tell you, you don't have to be in that position. If Jesus needs to appear to you and show his hands and his side, that's what he'll do. But maybe what Jesus needs to do for you is put you in touch with people who are going to love you and affirm the good news for you. And we've got a lot of those people in this room this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be your hands and feet in this world filled with purpose and power and belief. We want the good news to be for us and for everyone else that we encounter. We want to have your spirit flowing through us. The breath in and out of our lungs on a daily basis. And so, Father, as we we think on the resurrection this Sunday, help us to live the resurrection every day of the week. Help us to go out into the world and proclaim this good news. Help us to be the powerful mediators that our world needs. And help us to have the assurance that comes from a God who does not leave us hanging, but fills us with belief.
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have need of the church, if we can pray with you, if we can uh, just listen, if you would like to be baptized, whatever it may be that you need from us, we have people here today that would be happy to extend those things to you. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. I'd be happy to pray with you and visit with you. Our elders are here, and they'd be happy to do the same. We have some ladies here this morning that would be more than happy to visit with you if, you if you would like to pray with them as well. I'd encourage you to join me at the back of the auditorium if you have need of the church this morning. Let's stand and sing.